Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to our podcast, the Making Sense of podcast. Um, this is the third in our series um, of podcasts. And the intention behind it was to bring together some bits of psychological theory and some concepts and kind of general knowledge and apply that to what we as people and kind of hopefully you as listeners are experiencing during this current time with COVID. And today we want to focus on um, cognitive dissonance. Um, before I say that, I want to just kind of introduce everyone and maybe get everyone to introduce themselves, say hi. Who have we got? Hi, <laughs> hi everyone. Um, Bex here. Hope you're all well. Hi everyone, Tonya here. Hope you're all well too. Hi, Heather here. Classic. I was on mute. <laughs> um, Katie. Hi everyone. Hi Katie. Hello, Liz here. Hey. Um, okay, so cognitive dissonance. Um, it's one of those things that I feel like I bang on quite a lot about when we're on the course. And it's one of those things where I kind of deliberately try to bring it into a lot of sessions because I feel like, you know, we cover a lot of um, psychological theory on our psychology for change course and our other courses. But, you know, if there's one really kind of principal theory that I would like people to understand, it generally tends to be this one. Um, and it's so, so, so relevant to kind of what's going on now. Um, and obviously we're going to delve into it as we go into it, but I wanted to just maybe, I mean, a really obvious place to start is thinking about what cognitive dissonance is. Um, the clues in the name, so dissonance, you can think about die, if you think about dissection, so kind of cutting something in two, or like division, kind of like split between two things. So if, you know, if, if it's something, if that helps for you to kind of remember what it relates to, I think kind of understanding the, the die bit kind of helps. Um, so cognitive dissonance is when really briefly, and we'll kind of go into a little bit more detail in a bit, but very, very kind of crudely, I guess, cognitive dissonance is when we experience two or more conflicting thoughts. Yeah. So kind of just like eating, I don't know, top of Hagen does because you just really fancied it and then kind of feeling really bad about the fact that you've just kind of like nailed this whole tub of cookie dough dynamo speaking from experience um so so yeah so you will then kind of be in some kind of conflict because you've eaten it and then you can't obviously do anything about it but also you didn't want to do it you might see yourself as a healthy person so it leads to this kind of sense of conflict um one of the things that I want to say right from the beginning is that actually as human beings, we really value something called consonance. And so kind of consonance is basically the opposite of dissonance. So consonance is kind of compatibility of two opinions or actions over dissonance. And when I'm on the courses, I kind of cheat a little bit because um, I talk about kind of rather than consonance, I think it makes people think of countdown. <laughs> Carol Vorderman and Countdown. Uh, it's a different word, but it kind of sounds very similar. Um, but I always talk about kind of resonance. So I'm always kind of giving the example of like, you know, if you go to a piano, don't know what you're doing, and you play a chord, that sounds really shit. That's going to be a dissonant chord, okay? And the opposite is kind of when you play something really nice, um, it's a resonant chord. Um, I can actually um, show you this in person now because I've got an actual prop here. So this is a present for my nephew. It's my new ukulele uh, so if i was going to play just like a really kind of random chord 
it sounds pretty crap, right? Rubbish. <laughs> Rubbish. Um, so, whereas the opposite, there you go. Okay. Gorgeous. So, you know, kind of resonance over, over dissonance or um, another way to think about it is kind of harmony. So the chord I just played was like harmonious chord versus that first one, which is kind of disharmonious. Um, and this is a really important point because I think we, and, and this is actually called psychological, psychological consistency, when the values that we hold kind of fit together. When things fit together, we have this kind of sense of inner peace. Um, and I'd say kind of, you know, despite obvious kind of uh, aspects of human beings being particularly violent and brutal, um, you know, deep down, we actually value peace and harmony um, and we dislike conflict and pain. And if you think about that from a kind of bodily perspective, you know, we've evolved natural painkillers to numb the pain when we're injured. And, you know, we've also kind of been very innovative enough to find external sources of pain relief when the internal ones don't do enough. Um, and as we talked about in the last podcast, you know, we've also developed a whole range of like psychological defenses to protect us from emotional pain. So we don't like pain. We can't sit in it. We can't kind of stay with it for too long. We will do whatever we can to get away from it. Um, same thing in terms of kind of like emotional pain or inner conflict or in a kind of harmony, uh, sorry, disharmony. We don't like it. We strive to go to the opposite. We strive for kind of inner peace and we strive for a sense of kind of, yeah, equilibrium and kind of balance. How does that all sound so far to people? Making sense? Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. um, good. So, yeah. And, you know, the other thing we talk about a lot in the course is that we run at Foundation for Change is that we, you know, we need order in the world. We need meaning. Um, because otherwise, you know, if, if, if every time we kind of went outside of the house and we just kind of didn't know what was going to happen and we didn't know what things were, I think it would just be terrifying. It would be too much. So we strive for kind of like order in the world. And, and I guess you can kind of think about this idea of psychological consistency or cognitive consistency, this idea of kind of like this inner kind of peace over chaos as being the thing that we seek, yeah? So just to kind of summarize that whole little chunk, you know, if we're feeling cognitive dissonance, this feeling of two things not fitting together, we will do whatever we can to achieve inner peace. Okay? So, um, so I kind of started off by saying it's, you know, two thoughts. It's, I mean, it is kind of thought. So for those of you who don't know, cognitive or cognition relates to or refers to kind of, you know, things happen in the head, you know, thoughts. Um, dreams actually is considered a, a kind of a cognitive function. Um, but the other thing that tends to happen with uh, cognitive, or, sorry, the other thing that kind of cognitive dissonance relates to is when people hold beliefs or ideas or values and they do something which goes against one of those things. Yeah. So, you, you know, so a belief is a thought, you know, value is a thought. So a really good example, and I can't take credit for this, this actually came from one of the people in the seminars last week. She was saying one of the things she's getting really frustrated about is like in lockdown, having to like buy stuff from Amazon, even though she's like morally opposed to Amazon. Yeah, and I just thought it was a really, really good example. So she has this very clear value of it. She knows why she's really opposed to it. Yeah, this kind of shit that she's buying off Amazon because of lockdown that, you know, leaves her in this kind of state of cognitive dissonance. 
Um, so yeah, so like I said, we'll, we can talk about that. So uh, a little bit more later on. A really kind of classic example of cognitive dissonance that people will have heard of or kind of relate to kind of some more than others is this idea of kind of like smoking and kind of like smoking and kind of like these days knowing that smoking gives you cancer. Okay. I know there's a couple of smokers present. Um, and kind of like at the same time, kind of like what you do with that feeling. You know it's not good for you, but you like it or you kind of, you know, occur in smoking. And, and like I said, we can't sit in that kind of um, inconsistency. So we will do something to try and change that, to try to get some consistency back. I'm just curious, like to the smokers in the room, in the Zoom room. Yeah, I've experienced that, Rob. I think even with the, when um, COVID-19 first came about, I thought, oh my God, I'm going to need my lungs. But I kept smoking more and more. I found that I was smoking more and more and then thinking, knowing that like, I didn't want to do it and also that it wasn't good for the health effects that was coming. But yeah, I was in a constant state, but telling myself it's okay because I'm stressed out, so I, I need it. But then when I'm smoking a cigarette, thinking I don't want to do this because I need my lungs. But it was a really horrible sort of circle washing machine that I'm, that I'm in, still now even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Bex would probably back me I, up with something there. <laughs> I, I, I back you up massive, Tonya. I tell myself that smoking helps me manage dissonance. Like, because <laughs> it's a really stressful time, so therefore I need to smoke. Um, when actually I have dissonance about, you know, about smoking and I know how bad it is. Um, and then I always say to myself, one day I'll give it up soon just not yet I'm not ready yeah so so when you say something like that it kind of makes you just think like oh it's all right like I know this isn't going to be a permanent thing like I'll stop at some point in the future yeah yeah also it brings in ego defense mechanisms totally it, it being denial you know you just kind of deny that they that that's the case yeah and rationalize it as well by yeah. saying yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's also funny with you is that the, the cigarettes are the cause and the cure for your cognitive dissonance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Wow. Circle. Um, and I guess the other thing I wanted to kind of quickly say at this point is there's a real like overlap between cognitive dissonance and anxiety. Can anyone kind of think what that is? Because you know, because you might feel, you know, you might be smoking and kind of feeling anxious about the fact that. You know, you're smoking and you need your lungs and, and it's really important at this time to keep your lungs healthy. So you, feel, you might feel anxious about it. Can I, is anyone on the same thing about kind of what they think the connection is? But I don't know, but I would say that cognitive dissonance is anxiety. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Like, uh, you know, I, have, I was thinking about this earlier and I was thinking, like, I'm not going to like, go into every single kind of example of anxiety, but I think like all the ones that I went into, I just thought, actually, when you start to really delve into it, it's because there's some kind of inner conflict. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah okay. There's some kind of like unease somewhere. Ah, uh, that makes leading, sense. Yeah, leading to this kind of... So, so and I kind of want to say that as well, because I think that... I think a lot of time with cognitive dissonance, a lot of people think that, you know, it came from kind of... Um, I was actually a social psychologist, but, um, you know, a lot of people think it's a very, like, mental thing. Like, it kind of happens in your head, like a very kind of cerebral thing but actually there's a really strong kind of feeling component to it. 
like anxiety, like kind of butterflies in your stomach or kind of like grinding teeth at night or any of that kind of stuff. So, so just wanted to kind of like put that out there in case people are kind of wondering. Um, and I guess we'll kind of come on to that later on. One of the things, I mean, really quick kind of bit of history, but I don't want to spend too long on this and there's a bit more on the handout, but there was a guy, so it's basically kind of coined by this guy called Leon Festinger, this US um, social psychologist in 1957. And he was talking about that kind of inconsistency in our kind of thoughts and our minds being a really, I mean, I've kind of said all this already in a, in a way, being a very kind of psychologically uncomfortable place to exist in. And because it's so psychologically, and I would say kind of physically and emotionally uncomfortable, it kind of acts as like a motivating force to try to get the person, you know, to make the person do something to reduce that dissonance and to achieve, you know, consonants or harmony. And the other thing he kind of talks about is like, if something is making you feel this kind of cognitive distance, a lot of people will try to avoid situations that is making it come up. Okay. And again, kind of relevant to like COVID and kind of like, you know, going outside and if that's making you anxious and, and again, we'll kind of talk about this in a second, you know, one of the things that people might do is avoid going outside because it just causes them to sit in too much dissonance. So um, I think this bit kind of might be worth just kind of taking part a little bit more because, and it's absolutely right, um, Liz, you said about the ego defense mechanism. What I find really fascinating about um, cognitive dissonance is the length that people go to to deny something or to kind of like, to, I mean, basically to kind of reduce that sense of anxiety, that sense of dissonance. So you see a lot of people kind of like, you know, saying things like, I don't want, you know, I'll smoke less at some point or I'll give up at some point or whatever. But you also see people who put up like actually really elaborate smoke screens. And I'm kind of thinking more like public figures here. And I was thinking in the, in the handout, I talk about people like Jeffrey Epstein or um, who's the other one I mentioned in the handout? Um, Jimmy Savile. Jimmy yeah. So kind of in a way, like putting up these really elaborate kind of smoke screens of kind of like charitable giving and building hospitals and, um, you know, doing something because it, I mean, A, it's a smoke screen that stops people from kind of looking in and maybe kind of like seeing so clearly what's going on. Um, but also I think there's just something about the smoke screens also delude the person themselves. Yeah. So, so it's just this kind of idea of like actually bad people doing bad things isn't really the problem because they kind of know that they're doing it. More of a problem are kind of like good people. And, you know, you can't see this because it's a podcast, but like my fingers are making inverted commas by my ears. Good people doing bad things but, you know, doing things to kind of try to, you know, cover up their bad shit so that they can continue this kind of like reputation of them being a kind of like honourable and good person and virtuous person. Yeah, I can see where you're going with that. I, I mean, possibly Jimmy Savile might be a wrong, you know, thing to, thing to point out. I mean, his, his kind of charitable things he was doing were, were so he could get, you know, more access to his victims as well, wasn't it? You know? mm -hmm. But I guess, you know, I think that whole thing with, with the cognitive dissonance is like, you know, you're doing something bad. But I mean, when, when I was um, kind of lost in my addiction, I would say I was always like, you know, but I'm not that bad. You know, I haven't lost my house. Mm -hmm. my children 
um, I'm doing drugs one way, not another way. I'm, you know, it, it's like, you, yeah, that kind of justification for 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 it being okay and you carrying on because you're not, it's not as worse as something else that you Hopefully. think. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of minimise your experience. You can kind of rationalise it. Yeah, because then you don't have to deal with the reality. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Jimmy Savile stuff, Michael, um, Michael Jackson, I think a lot of that stuff absolutely was kind of like a way to, you know, to kind of get access to more victims. But I'm sure like part of it was kind of like part of this defence where they're kind of literally erecting things to, to make them feel like they were actually good people. Um, I don't know if anyone saw the Jeffrey Epstein programme on Netflix. Yeah, I had give it a little watch. Yeah. Yes, it's very interesting. It's like this. I, I was just thinking about somebody I sort of know that does things that are not. But um, but she she sort of um, makes it okay because she believes her own self. Yeah, it's like her, the story that she's given herself is the story. Yeah, and she really sort of believes that, and it's really bizarre to see sometimes because. It is a complete cognitive dis dissonance going on in front of your eyes. Yeah. So that, yeah, was just an example of somebody I knew. I think it's pretty bizarre because I think one of the things that, I mean, there's a few references, film references that I'm going to put down in this, but I think um, one thing is, again, just quickly going back to Jeffrey Epstein, I mean, these are the kind of the big ones, but, but it kind of relates to what you're saying, Tonya, is that I think people it's so interesting what people tell themselves. So Jeffrey Epstein was kind of saying that, you know, like he was doing all this horrific stuff to these underage girls, and but he was paying for their education or at least saying that he would. So he kind of saw himself as like actually helping these girls. A little bit of a saviour. Yeah. Doing a favour, yeah. And what I kind of found so interesting at him and like a couple of other kind of people I was just kind of looking at with these, you know, cognitive dissonance spectacles on, was that the, the more it continues, you know, the further away from reality they get because they're constructing the world around them in such a particular way that they, and they really believe it. And they've got, and they're very powerful. They're very rich and very powerful. So they can con totally control the people who are around them. They're not yeah. going to have any negative comments. They're going to be people around them sucking up to them because they want, you know, because they're, yeah, because of the money and the power and, and all that. Mm -hmm. They're not going to have anyone saying anything negative about the way he's behaving. So that kind of instills it more that you're, you know, that you're not doing anything wrong. You know, you're in this whole bubble of, yeah, denial. Uh, maybe othering other people as well. You're, you know, you're not, you're not kind of, the reality of what you're doing is not, is something else completely. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's completely nuts nobody's challenging it so why would you think to change your beliefs yeah and I also wonder like if he was a bit of a psychopath as well though and I wonder how cognitive dissonance actually works in somebody who doesn't have that particular part of their brain which works um emotionally um and so I would say that Jeffrey Epstein definitely had psychopathic tendencies mm -hmm. not being a clinical psychologist which makes co makes cognitive dissonance a di an, an, an interesting one because maybe there was no dissonance radical yeah yeah um, it's obviously hard to say because he's dead now uh, <laughs> but um 
Yeah, I mean, I don't want to kind of say too much about this. There's a, there's a film, um, I watched it again, actually. I kind of vowed I would never watch it again the first time I watched it because it's so dark. Um, it's called The Act of Killing, and it's about these killers in Indonesia in the kind of 60s who basically kind of were, you know, the ones who killed, like, thousands of people in this genocide. And the way they talk, you know, I mean, there's various things kind of going on here. There's this huge sense of narcissism, there's this huge sense of entitlement, which connects to what Heather was saying about the kind of, you know, the power and obviously, and also the people around them are kind of also in very similar positions. So it's that whole kind of echo, echo chamber phenomenon. Um, and complete lack of remorse, which again is the kind of like sociopath, psychopath kind of um, narcissistic thing. But something happens at the end where, I mean, maybe it's not kind of spoiling it, but, you know, this guy kind of killed thousands of people. But one of the things he talked about frequently were his dreams and where he felt very haunted in his dreams. And it's the only time he ever talked about being haunted. Because if you think about it, it's the only time where the kind of, you know, the unconscious comes out into play. Do you know what I mean? So, so I'm kind of just saying that, like, I wonder what kind of dreams Jeffrey Epstein had. None. I bet he was just like a vacant void, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> so, I, I don't want to mess up the theory or anything. Um, but it does make sense. Like, you know, myself personally, when I sit with dissonance, like, it does come out in my dreams. It comes out in, um, you know, I was talking, um, I think, with Tonya, and we just related to when we feel anxious, we have dreams that express that, which we push down during the day. Um, mm -hmm. And it's things like, you know, it disrupts your sleep. It's kind of like that time where you can recuperate is the time where anxiety um, kind of affects you the most. Well, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but if it's dissonance, if it's something that you're not actually completely aware of during the day, um, you have that inkling feeling. Mm -hmm. It's the one thing that just disrupts that time where you're able to kind of recuperate and rest. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, you can kind of manage it more during the day because you can talk to yourself. Yeah, and you can have your defence mechanisms, like we spoke last week. You know, you can uh, have, like, you fill your day with whatever it is you need to fill it with in order to manage it. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it's quite important to know that when you experience, like I do uh, myself, like really kind of interrupted sleep or sleeping too much but it's mainly comes out in dream form mm -hmm. um and it's good to identify that that's just your feeling of um yeah dissonance which hasn't been kind of like solved mm. um or you haven't kind of like oh god i'm gonna say it but had some closure around it yeah 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 c word um <laughs> i think uh, it's important i think um yeah, I mean, you know, also with, with cognitive dissonance, I mean, I actually kind of in some ways felt I wish I had more time to really delve into this because it feels like such a huge topic. Um, and one of the things I wanted to check was that what I'm about to say is in some kind of bastardized version of cognitive dissonance, and, and maybe they do kind of talk about it. But generally, they talk about cognitive dissonance as being, um, you know, very kind of internal, kind of like two things in your head. Um, two or more things in your head, kind of conflicts between thoughts and values and things. But it feels like there is something about the fact that kind of there, when there is a conflict between inner and outer, that is also leading to dissonance. So when this is kind of, um, you know, kind of we, we were just talking 
earlier about kind of, you know, lockdown and kind of people coming out of it and people like being really complacent about wearing face masks and how that can kind of be actually really anxiety provoking. So you have this kind of internal sense of like, okay, this is really wrong, but it's almost like in conflict with what you're seeing from the outside. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's, is it something like what you were saying the other day, like we're in sort of this lockdown. So, you know, and then, but when you, you walk out on the street, it doesn't look like what, what we think it should look like. And so that, that creates, um, you know, for say for my, my example, yes, we're sort of easing, but I haven't gone anywhere still. Um, I've still kept to where I've gone. That's probably for my own safety, but um, as the, weeks are going on it, it is a massive dissonance because it's not the same mirror it's, it's just not the same absolutely and that is scary and what and it, we're not all on the same page yeah but we there's, there's something about kind of like if you think about again dissonance is two literally kind of thoughts conflicting in your head it feels like there is this kind of like weird conflict between kind of what you're feeling inside and what you're seeing outside yeah. causing this kind of distance you know I think we're like a real I was out at the weekend in the park um, and it was you know it was very 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 strange because it was beautiful summer evening there was kind of people around you know it's summertime we kind of feel you know good vibes and all that kind of stuff but then there's this kind of reality of what is actually happening and those two things don't fit together that's it this is a bit like a jigsaw that just doesn't fit together and then you can't you know, I'd like to go for a picnic in the park and relax, but there's something that won't let me. I, I probably could do it, but I wouldn't relax and do it. And mm -hmm. like how, because yeah, something isn't right. Something's not fitting right. Mm. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time just kind of like think, talking about like different examples, you know, no matter how big or small they are, kind of relating cognitive dissonance to where we are now in lockdown kind of I think it's what week 13 or something and you know restrictions are easing um in strange ways and yeah I'm just kind of curious about people's own kind of you know interpreting those things through this new kind of lens of all this lens of cognitive dissonance um well you know I struggle because I live with my elderly parents um and I mean, I'm, I'm terrified. I'm just absolutely terrified about this lockdown ease. Um, and I have lots of dissonance around um, how to sort of manage myself uh, during this lockdown ease. Um, so I think I've got kind of like, it's kind of just this constant feeling of not knowing. Um, and I'm really worried that I just got on a tube for the first time the other day to go up to the um, office to, to pick up a couple of things. And it was the first time I've actually ever got on transport. Um, and, and that was okay because I was able to travel at certain times of the day, come home, I get straight in the shower. But I'm kind of worried for what it means just for my mum and dad. And okay, if, you know, the lockdown eases for myself, I could be able to see my friends. But I'm still unsure of kind of like, I still have a lot of anxiety around what that means for them and what life I can live in order not to um, be able to um, make sure that my mum and dad are safe. And this comes from the fact that I am conflicted guidelines, like there's conflicted information out there, um, mainly provided from the government. Um, 
on the news. Um, and I feel that actually we're in a place where the whole country feels like it's in cognitive dissonance, if I'm honest with you. Um, and so the reason why I sit in that is because I just don't feel like I have um, a structure or guidelines, safe guidelines, real clear guidelines to, to live by and to be able to kind of like, you know, meet up with friends. Like, you know, what's over, my mate doesn't have a back garden. Um, and it's just, it's very confusing. And I think my main concern is the safety for my parents. I would be less kind of vigilant um, and I just don't think that the guy that there is structure out there um, to look after if you're living with vulnerable elderly people. It's ironic, isn't it? Because I think in some ways life was much easier in lockdown because it was just really clear. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's what I'm continuing to do to manage my dissonance is to stay in lockdown um, because I have to, um, you know, create my create my own sort of sort of safety, really, because I don't feel like it's being done for me. Um, and so my decision is to stay in lockdown. And it's as simple as that only to go out if and when I need to. And I do a bit of, um, you know, volunteer work, but that's on a Wednesday morning, you know, um, and so I know how to be safe. So I have to create my own safety. I feel more in charge of that than I do, than any sort of kind of like government kind of guidelines make me feel, if I'm honest with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say, I think I feel dissonance around a similar area. I don't know if I've quite put my finger on it, but in terms of holding to thoughts, um, feeling like there is reassurance and safety that comes from strict guidelines and strict conditions and almost being like personally willing to follow them and being grateful and looking for something like that from, you know, the government, I suppose. And then this opposite idea which is I absolutely do not trust those people um, and and I'm kind of in principle anti-authoritarian I suppose and don't support um, restrictive government measures being imposed upon a population and yet like I've got these two sort of yeah conflicting thoughts about that and um, that have come up particularly around COVID and like looking into some of the history of um, like epidemics in the past, which some of us have been doing kind of in putting together these podcasts. I can see that that's really common. That's a really common tension, like this need for public health and safety and like the restrictions to our freedom that comes with it and kind of, yeah, I feel like, the dissonance for me is definitely around that tension at the moment. Mm. I was thinking the other day, I think there's also some relevance to like, I don't know if, if people kind of follow the rates of staff. I don't know, like, I think the figures are actually massively underreported. But, you know, for me, there's something really psychologically um, disconcerting about being in the top three death rates in the world it just really seems kind of fucked up and it's like I have to try and kind of like rationalize that kind of that in itself gives me this kind of really weird sense of dissonance um and I was watching on YouTube the other day just kind of like really randomly watching this kind of like 
food street market in Bangkok. And, uh, you know, there was like tons of people around, like cooking like really, you know, weird, tasty looking shit on barbecues and stuff like that. And I looked up and they're all wearing face masks. And I just thought, okay, when was this filmed? And it was filmed in June. And then I kind of was looking at figures and time, like, you know, they've, they've had like something like 57 deaths or something. Like, it's just nuts. And I was thinking like, what must it be like the difference between living in a country where there is a complete lack of trust. There is this kind of like massive incompetency, high infection rates, high death rates. Like that alone is going to have an impact. Do you know what I mean? Versus if you're living in like Iceland or somewhere who hasn't had a lockdown at all. Yeah, I mean, I suppose I rationalised all of that away um, by sort of sort of saying, oh, well, it's, you know, we have one of the busiest tube networks. It was London, you know, and we're going to, it's just the virus is going to spread really easily. Um, because, yeah, it's absolutely anxiety kind of like inducing having one of the highest um, kind of infection and death rates um, it globally. And we're such kind of like a, you know, technically progressive country, um, which has a healthcare system. And, um, you know, it, it just kind of, yeah, it completely throws you. And so I do, you know, the typical thing, which is like, yeah, but it's we've got London, man, London's massive, but then you have Tokyo. Um, and so, yeah, it's just kind of like another way of kind of going, shit, I, maybe I just don't want to think about particularly why um, or how, like, I know, I know there's a lot of science yet to kind of like come out about it, but I don't really want to think why we are number three, just mm. in terms of the highest. It's kind of easier not to. Yeah, yeah. Which is another way of managing that anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. I've been sitting here rather quietly because I'm trying, I'm trying to kind of locate something in my head and I, I don't think I'm eloquent enough to kind of express it. But there's something about the kind of the, the private self and the public self and all this, you know, um, I, I think we've touched upon it is there is a kind of national um, cognitive dissonance, if you like. Um, so it's not just an, an issue about how you're feeling individually. There's a sort of bigger thing going on here. But anyway, forgive me, I'm not, I'm not really expressing this. But as I've been listening, one of the things that, that really strikes me is it's really important or it's really useful at this time to have a bit of a political understanding, not as in parties, not as in Tory or Labour or whatever, but to have an understanding of what's happening, happening politically um, because, you know, what we're being told isn't necessarily the case. And that might make you feel kind of like a huge sense of personal dissonance. But actually, it, it's not, you know, it's not your own personal distance. It's, it's, that, it's that, that jigsaw that doesn't fit with what we're being told and what or actually what we think is going on. And it feels to me that a lot of this stuff around lockdown easing is the government saying, and they use the words common sense, but they're saying you are responsible if you get ill. We are not responsible for your health and safety anymore which is one of the kind of driving kind of ideologies of this government is to reduce the state and so that everybody's just like on their own mate and I feel like this 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 lessening of lockdown is very much a you're on your own mate you manage it up to you um message 
which will make us feel individually all kind of confused and conflicted but it's not an individual dissonance it's actually a dissonance of our society is a dissonant one because the messages we're being told are not are not truthful the language being used is 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 a manipulative slippery language that makes us feel a lot you know um uncomfortable and unsure do you think there's also a connection to something quite primal because i'm just thinking about like you know the, the parallel between being a child who primarily kind of thinks that their mother and father are going to be caregivers and there's this kind of like sense of implicit trust and when that trust is broken it's so incredibly traumatic and painful and kind of like taking that to obviously like a kind of societal perspective totally you know, we're being trolled. Yeah. yeah that's what i think we're being groomed and trolled by our own government and that is i mean like any kind of anybody that has been the victim of any kind of um you know abusive relationships however they've they've kind of been um you know however those abusive relationships have been will recognize this feeling of confusion and, confusion and and lack of safety and lack of trust yeah um you know again kind of to me i've been kind of thinking that the global comparison i think is really interesting if you look at somewhere like new zealand who really trust their prime minister like versus yeah. us who just kind of like actually don't and i think even people who think boris is a laugh and a right character it's not the same as saying you trust somebody it's like having a kind of wacky uncle that's always good fun and brings you whoopee cushions. Great. But you wouldn't want that, you know, your wacky uncle to be your parent. You want to feel safe and, and listened to and loved and secure. I think it, it's really, really, um, that is, that is the root. I think you're right, Bob. That, that is the root of much of, of people's anxiety. So it's not an individual. I think what I'm trying to say, it's not yeah, an individual yeah. cognitive yeah. dissonance. It's a kind of weird collective cognitive dissonance. And in transactional analysis, when they, they talk about, you know, when somebody is, is a, a kind of dupe, what transactional analysis would call a duplex transaction. But what, basically when, when somebody's saying something and they're not telling you the truth of what they're saying, they're actually, you know, manipulating you, you experience that very physically. And it, it often makes people kind of go into very kind of childlike spaces. Mm -hmm. because it's like it's like your parents sort of saying oh don't you know mummy and daddy you know i'm just not happy with each other at the moment or you know like timmy the dog has gone to live on a warm in a farm in wales you know it's it's you know it's a lie even as a child you know it's a lie but you, you're powerless to do anything about it yeah it's I, you know it's interesting because again kind of going back into this theory like you know properly so kind of um went into years ago, like, you know, this idea of consistency and having this kind of consistent view of the world and knowing you're being lied to goes against that. You know, it's, and we feel it. Yeah. Uh... Um, so this can go in so many ways. Maybe we need to kind of like do another kind of session on this in, in future, but I mean, we're kind of maybe like stating the obvious here, but kind of like, one of the things which is so unusual about what we're going through is how long, you know, it's kind of been going on, how kind of, you know, global it is, like not even kind of like um, collective in a kind of country sense, but just globally. 
uh, you know, the uncertainty, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that is obviously causing this cognitive dissonance, which is just ongoing. You know, I mean, we experience it all the time. Like, don't get me wrong. So like when, when there's no lockdown, like pre-COVID, like it wasn't like we were just these kind of beautiful, harmonious individuals, like skipping around the streets. You know, we were still feeling it, but it feels like there's something so huge about this time in terms of like the different levels of dissonance and the different kind of maybe triggers of it. Um, and I guess I wanted to kind of just maybe ask you all, like, what do you think is the impact of being in this dissonant state? You know, it's, it's like a chronic dissonant state. It's a long-term dissonant state. I feel tense just even saying that. <laughs> I'm trying to sort of think from my from um, where I'm at at the moment with um, kids of school age and not knowing what's going to happen and um, yeah, totally just um, it's so surreal because we don't even though Boris has said you know we're going to go back in September, our schools have said that isn't going to happen because they can't do it. So for me, as 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 a parent. I don't know what to sort of say to the kids. I don't know what to do. And I don't really know what's going to happen because September's not going to happen. So that means that our lives, we just, we're stuck in a way. And I don't know what that means for them either. You know, I think I, I as a parent, haven't got the answers. And I'm worried about the impact of um, the emotional well-being of them and also that well they've been in for quite a while now trying to get them back into the trust of going out as well I think is going to be quite a challenge a new challenge to, to sort of look at so I'm in a massive dissonance because I don't know where my life is even going or the children's life whereas six seven months ago I knew exactly what was happening and now I can't plan nothing because there's nothing's the same you know school's not that sort of the kids are at home and stuff like that so there's just no you just can't do anything nothing you know but try to survive the moment and be in the moment and that's that's what i'm doing anyway i'm trying to be positive and carry on but it is really really difficult because as you just said we're, we're constantly in this dissonance and for me i've found the last couple of weeks the dreams i've been having have just been crazy and when i've explained them to katie the other day and katie, you know it was pure anxiety couldn't breathe can't you know but because i'm in every day i'm trying to it's okay you know we're gonna got to cook dinner got to do this got to do that and then obviously in the night unconsciously it's like i'm suffocating with the scaredness of the uncertainty of everything because we could sit there and listen to Boris every night and think right this is going to happen and that is going to happen but what's the reality of that happening is is you know I've got a son that works in a pub and he's going back in on the 4th of July we need him to go back because we need the money so you know in a way the choice is going to be gone because you have to go but also there's going to be that massive cognitive dissonance of you know jamie's got ocd so i can imagine how he's going to be when he's going to work and sort of so all that is due to come as well so it's a new stage of going back in and how's it going to be 
I mean, this is the whole kind of, yeah, financial aspect we haven't touched on because for sure, like people who are kind of like having to go to work and return to work because they need it, mm. not feeling safe and not feeling like they even want to go back because they don't feel safe. I mean, that alone is like major, major, major conflict. Yeah. Um, but I was going to say, because you touched on something really important there. Like, I think to me, you know, again, when I think about it, like cognitive dissonance is a state of discomfort and kind of emotional pain and we are not you know designed is the wrong word to use but you know we, we can't cope with that long term you know we cut ourselves and we kind of hurt and we want to kind of like do something for the pain and we have a headache and we don't like it so we take a painkiller like we can't sit in that for too long and this is really unusual because of the fact that it is so 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 kind of ongoing and I think being in this kind of like state of conflict, and I think if you think about it, it's not just one state, it's going to be like multiple, multiple states, multiple things causing it. It's exhausting. It is absolutely exhausting. It's the stuff that, you know, keeps us awake at night or kind of like so many people I'm talking to have been having like very kind of fragmented and fractured dreams. Like some having really intense kind of full on vivid dreams and like a lot of people having very like fractured dreams and sleeping loads and sleeping more than they would and I think like that to me is the sign of like the psychological strain we're under. I just want to sort of challenge as well in case people are listening and sort of like not quite relating because I also wonder like whether it's true that all of us it links to what Liz was saying about the private self and the public self and the political sphere and the personal sphere. I wonder whether all of us are feeling that much cognitive dis dissonance in a way. And that, because it's like, we, we know that this is utterly bizarre and we are literally being told two different things that don't reconcile, but not, we don't necessarily like feel that ourselves but we're watching these people who apparently are operating in that way. And so let's say with the government, like they know they are responsible for the health of millions of people, literally. And yet they are introducing measures that massively expose people to risk and don't do anything to try and further contain like the spread of the virus and risk us going into a second wave. So it's more as if it's like looking at other people behave in this bizarre mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. Like, why are you doing this? The only way to make sense of it is that they must go through their life with all these cognitive dissonance mechanisms going on. But I actually wonder sometimes whether the rest of us don't really feel that way, but we're having to sort of witness it. And that's, that's what's distressing. Again, it's a, it's a really weird conflict, isn't it? Because if you're watching someone talk and they're saying, you know, if it's Trump or if it's Boris Johnson, and they're talking about stuff in this way which is so fucking inauthentic and insincere, that is also like something that doesn't align. Like, again, I just think we feel it. I think people's bullshit detectors are actually really strong. But watching the leaders of your country make talks and not be genuine because of them probably trying to manage their own dissonance, I think is really, really, um, you know, cognitively dissonance provoking. <laughs> I guess, I guess it's just wanting to sort of 
I think like, you know, in talking to people, friends, and then also talking to others when we're doing our seminars, I feel like people have a lot more real common sense and like feel more in touch with their own realities and just listening to Tonya, like, like, you know, we all know what we're living through and luckily have spaces like this to come together and discuss it with each other and that's what's really important and really helpful and it's more looking at these people who are making decisions on behalf of the rest of us that is the baffling thing and the mad you know the thing that's maddening but also we've been going on you know it's been going on for so long now that people desperately want it to be okay and be normal so if the government are telling you that it's getting to be better and normal then you're gonna you're gonna grasp that you want that normality you know you you want to it not be scary anymore you know i i went out this morning for the first time to the high street and i there was you know probably about five people wearing masks no one else was even though there was people like queuing up to get into shops um and shops were only letting people in like four at a time or something. So there was that, you know, so we clearly knew that they, we should be like distancing from each other. But at the same time, it was really, you know, the whole place was like really busy. Uh, and I was getting funny looks for wearing a mask. And I guess it's that thing of, you know, like you, you, you don't want to be in that uncomfortableness. And if the government are telling you that it's getting better, then you're going to believe them, despite the fact that the amount of people dying is the same amount of people that were dying in you know the second third week in march and we've just started going into lockdown you, you know so, so it's like those what you're being told and the actual kind of figures don't they don't kind of make sense today i think it's a really good point as well you know i think like thinking about people who seem to be complacent you know they'll be going through the you know again setting the obvious but going through their own process and maybe that's their way of kind of managing their discomfort because they so desperately want to get back to some level of normality. You know, so shit that the government says just kind of justifies that. Yeah. I think there's something, I was listening to something the other day and it was this um, guy who's like an accident investigator. And he was talking about this phenomenon of um, loads of the accidents he investigated. I'm not really sure how he kind of found this out, but he was noticing that what had happened was that people take risks. And when they kind of survive past that particular risk, it sets the bar at a particular place, which means that the next time they can kind of like push, they keep pushing the bar. So, you know, pilots who might have been, he was talking about kind of pilot who, um, landed in really kind of dodgy weather at one point and then kind of like survived it and then like managed it again and then the third time basically crashed the plane and you know everyone died you know but there's just something about kind of um i, I, I was thinking about it in relation to this like i think that actually people have thought about not wearing masks going out coming back not having caught anything and then just thinking like oh it's okay and then seeing everyone else doing it kind of reinforces you thinking like, oh, it's okay. And then the government saying, well, we're opening pubs on July 4th. Like, so there's just this whole kind of, um, you know, different set of factors which are influencing our own individual behavior. I guess that's like, like that confirmation bias thing as well, isn't it? It's like you're, you're out with loads of 
people in a crowd when you haven't got it so you know so you're it's totally fine yeah you know? I, I was just going to say what you said bob i've got a son like that that won't refuses to wear masks and where he had an accident and it was like a life-saving one and i think because he survived that his bar is very high so he's um yeah he's one of them that um he won't wear a mask he, you know, he said he won't get on public transport again. But if his if his work required him to wear a mask, he'd leave and go to another job because he's not going to wear a mask. So, yeah, that's um, we have discussions about that, and it can be, and I think it probably comes from because he had that big accident, and he thinks, you know, that mm. it's raised his sort of bar, and he knows his body and stuff like that. You know, we're kind of touching on one of the issues that that. It, you know is complex for us to understand our society because it feels like if it doesn't personally happen to some people they they cannot have empathy for it potentially happening to others so until a member of your family dies you can kind of go oh yeah it's all a load of nonsense this isn't really happening you know in the same way that before covid it feels like um quite a lot of people um you know weren't weren't terribly kind of understanding of people becoming homeless or something because you know it wouldn't happen to them so can you see it sort of feels like until covid touches you then it can just not be a serious thing mm. but and, and you know i think that that raises questions for us as a society how we protect others who 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 have experienced stuff that we may not mm. and it goes it goes with racism it goes with you know it cuts across lots and lots of questions about what kind of world we want to live in mm. and how we can help people who experience things we may never. And it, you know, I think we're all very fortunate to be able to work from home and, and do this. And, you know, I guess we're lessening, you know, our own exposure to COVID, but there are lots of people who do jobs where they are not able to do so, but mm -hmm. you know, how to, how to hold on to, our empathy and our understanding of that is an important and question. Compassion, yeah. Yeah. That was the word I was trying not to say, but there you go. Well, you know, it's a good word. It's just been hijacked quite a lot. Um, I think it's also nuts as well, because I think there's just something about the pace at which things are changing. Because I was just thinking about kind of this whole mask thing and just thinking like, what, we're like maybe what, 11, 12 weeks since mid-March? when lockdown first happened you know, not that many people were, were wearing masks you know the ones who did were kind of maybe seen as being like overcautious or hypochondriacs whatever and very soon it became the norm you know for a country that doesn't wear masks like you see them in southeast asia all the time but like here like it just suddenly became the norm and then it's almost a bit like the opposite is happening where so many people are now not wearing masks that the ones who do almost look like look strange yeah, I just, it's so fast. The, the trends are happening so quickly. It's hard to keep up. And I think it's not consistent, though. You can get on a, get on a bus, half the people are wearing them, and then they let people on without. So I think it just really needs to be consistent, because if you're sitting on the bus with a mask, because you have to sit on the bus with a mask, but then people are getting on without one, it's frustrating, you know, because you think, well... What's the point in, you know, in, in everyone wearing masks and you just can come on the bus and not wear a mask? And I think that's, that's even in the shops, you know, like when I, in the, in, I went shopping this morning 
but um the people that work in the shops don't wear masks or gloves mm. and that is enough that's another you know it's a dissonance it's like why isn't everybody and why isn't everybody following the same sort of thing but everybody isn't and it's not mandatory to wear them in shops either you don't have to it's mandatory only on the buses and things like that and i think as as you said just when things come out i mean they're not introduced and too late maybe you know like the quarantine of the aeroplanes and you know people that would have made a lot of sense in the beginning but halfway through you're like oh yeah let's do this and it just it doesn't make sense to me it's like why why didn't we do that in the beginning mm. why didn't we all wear masks in the beginning you know it's quite simple but yeah because the economy was more important than people so yeah, I'm, I'm just a bit conscious of time, so it's probably worth just wrapping this up. Um, there's a handout, like there is accompanying all the podcasts, there's one accompanying this. Um, there's a bit at the end about some of the things you can do to kind of like work with cognitive dissonance, you know, it's not going away. Um, so yeah, so please do download that. Um, and the, I guess the last thing I wanted to say was that, you know, a lot of this podcast has been looking at our own individual feeling of cognitive dissonance. Um, and we've kind of touched on some of the more kind of collective aspects of it. And it's something that we'll probably look at in a future podcast. So I think it really warrants it. I think this idea of, you know, everyone being in such high levels of dissonance um, is really, really unique and warrants further exploration. So thank you for listening. Thank you for taking part, everyone. We'll see you next time around. Thanks, Bo. Bye. 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 Thank you.